Okay, uh, if I say the word perfect, I wonder what you think about. So, I wonder what comes to mind. Now, is it the satisfaction you have when you finish a particularly perfect piece of work? I see my students sometimes, they, they get, uh, they finish their work early, they mark it, and it's 100%. And my students, if they do a, a homework and they get 100%, they get, they will get a merit. And so they're particularly keen on telling me they come in, uh, so have you put in my merit yet? Um, or any other task, really. Maybe it's uh, making something. And I, wish, I, I really wish I was better at making something. But uh, occasionally, I, I will uh, make sure that my IKEA furniture uh, is slowly being built. I, I bought a whole load uh, a couple of, almost two years back, and then it's slowly getting built. Um, and the men's Bible study keep on laughing at me at the number of boxes I've got around that aren't complete. Uh, but it's my my house is slowly getting filled with some nice IKEA furniture, which when I finish, I sit back and think that's perfect. It's brilliant. Um, okay. Or is it that something drives you to perfection? Is it so? Is that drive to perfection? Perhaps it's a word that causes you stress because it's something that you can never reach perfection. Is it? Per Perhaps that you are resigned that you can never be perfect. Something un 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 unobtainable, and it's just an idea. We humans cannot be perfect. Uh, and I think that is, is in some ways very biblical, that we cannot be perfect. As a mathematician, as a maths teacher, I'm someone who often deals with the theoretical, so the idea of perfection is not so strange to me. But I think that when we deal with perfection in real life, it can seem something that's out of reach for us. And that's what we're looking at today. And thankfully, we have Jesus, who is fully God, but also fully human. And so he was the perfect human. And as the title says in my slide, the per our perfect high priest. Um, but uh, let's, let's read. So we're reading from Hebrews chapter 14, starting with verse 14 uh, and going into chapter 15, uh, sorry, chapter 5, uh, reading from verse 1 to 10. Jesus, the great high priest, since then we have, ha we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we, might receive, we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sin. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obliged to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, for himself but only when, it, when called by God, just as Aaron was. So as Christ, also Christ did not exalt himself, 
to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers, prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what, what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest of the order of Melchizedek. Let me pray as we go on. Father, we pray that we can humble ourselves to recognize you as our high priest. We thank you that you are perfect, that you were made perfect, that you are perfect in heaven, in intercessing for us as our high priest. That you are a God who continues to take part in our lives and uh, intercess for us. Lord, we pray that we can continue to look at your cross and realize the magnitude and grow in our understanding of the magnitude of what you did for us and then look forward to your salvation. The day when we will be in heaven with you as your family. In Jesus' name, amen. Right. So we've seen in the book of Hebrews, um, let's just seen in the book of Hebrews, the author giving us some very, very serious warnings. And the, this is a, a group of three, four warnings. Um, but we've seen two so far. In chapter two, verse one, the author tells us uh, to pay much closer attention, lest we drift away. That's a dire warning. Pay closer attention lest we drift away like the Israelites in the desert. They weren't able to enter God's rest, God's kingdom, because they drifted away. They weren't paying attention. Last week, we were warned, again like the Israelites, not to harden our hearts and lose out on entering God's new kingdom. So with these dire warnings coming our way and all the pit, uh, traps and pitfalls that the Bible warns us about, we may be wondering how we're going to be able to survive. Well, as you might have guessed, not only because the author of Hebrews has spelled it out very clearly, but also because just about every passage in the Bible points to it, the answer is Jesus. As every Sunday school child knows, Jesus is the answer to all the questions. In this passage, however, the author wants to spell out ex ex explicitly why Jesus is the perfect person for this job. And that job is being the great high priest, the perfect high priest. Now, you may be sitting there and thinking, what on earth do I need a high priest for? I have uh, no time for people in silly hats, uh, in robes, and with you know, quoting obscure texts who are kind of, uh, yeah, who flail around incense. You might think of that as a high priest. Uh, that certainly was the case in Israel. 
Um, I don't know whether the Israel, uh, the the Jewish high priests had silly hats. I think they did. Um, but um, let me tell you about the role that the high priest played. Okay. Um, so in Old Testament times, the high priest was the primary source of communication between God and his people. Once a year, the high priest would enter the temple and right into the center of the temple, the Holy of Holies, that great big curtain that separates the presence of God from the rest of his people. He would enter into that place, and I've talked about it many times, uh, because he would have this great big rope around his waist, because if God wasn't happy with the sacrifice, they would be able to yank him out and not go into the Holy of Holies. There he would sacrifice, this once a year sacrifice for the people, for the sins of the people and for himself as well. Um, we see that in chapter, chapter 5, verse 3, um, that it's for his sins as well as the entire nation. In effect, he is the go-between between, uh, go between, between man and God. Now, as Christians, we don't believe that we need uh, a human high priest. In fact, we don't need any priesthood anymore. The Bible calls us as Christians to be the royal priesthood. In 1 Peter 2, we are the royal priesthood, that we are performing God's duty duties and doing his work on earth, much as the priesthood of the Old Testament did in Israel. We also don't have a high priest uh, because our high priest is Jesus, and that he is a high priest made perfect, chapter uh, 5, verse 9, in every way. Let's uh, see that. Chapter 5, verse 9, we see here, and being made perfect, although he was uh, learned obedience through what was suffered, being made perfect. And you might be thinking to yourself right now, wait, wasn't Jesus already perfect? Well, let's see why he is the perfect high priest, and then that will answer the question as to why Jesus was being made perfect. So you can, uh, I know that there are uh, heresies actually uh, made, taken from this, uh, this verse. You can always uh, find misinterpretations of any verse as if you take them out of context. Um, and there are various heresies taken from this, that Jesus was man until he, he was sacrificed and then he was made God, etc., etc. But here we'll see in this context that this, that is definitely not true, that he was man and fully man and fully God. So my first point is this, that Jesus is the perfect intercessor. So I have mentioned before that, um, that in my previous school, before I came to Malaysia, I had difficulties with the senior management of my school who became very suspicious of my faith and my Christian activities in the school. And so I had to go through a disciplinary. I had made some mistakes. I'm, I'm happy, you know, kind of, I, I, I will admit to that. But I, I felt very much, you know, and others around me, my head of department, who's definitely not a Christian, uh, was privy to all the emails. And he uh, said that they were very much out to get me. And I felt very much that it was a spiritual attack. And looking back, I do... I'm not someone who jumps to that conclusion, but I, I 
do feel very much that that was a time of testing and spiritual tech. So I was pulled into uh, an interview for my school disciplinary. Um, now, during this time, it was a very stressful process and I wasn't sure how to speak up for myself, what was uh, appropriate and what was not appropriate to say and you know, kind of when to speak, etc. So I uh, contacted a man who was a leader of a Christian organization of Christian schools in, in the UK. And he became what is known as my intercessor. So the important thing for me was that this man was not just someone who knew schools. He was a former headmaster, but he was also a former teacher. So he knew the job and he knew schools. But also he was a Christian. So he had been there. He had been doing Christian activities. So he knew what was acceptable and he could talk for me. You see, it was so important that he could sympathize with my position. And let's look at the passage, what the passage says. In chapter 4, verse 14, I'm going to read these two verses, uh, 4, verse 14 and 15. Since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens... Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who, is, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You see, Jesus didn't just, wasn't just from heavens. He came to earth, and he was tempted in every way. And Jesus went through the severest of temptations and came out the other side. Now, I've heard the thinking, and I, you know, some of you may be thinking this, and I think it's natural to think, but he's God. How can, you know, how can he compare to us? How can he sympathize with us? Of course, he's going to overcome temptation. For him, it's going to be easy because he's God. But remember that he was also fully man. You might also think, he's perfect. He, how is he going to understand what we're going through? Now, let me read. Unfortunately, I haven't got the slide for this. But let me read uh, what C.S. Lewis says about this. So C.S. Lewis, uh, in, in addressing uh, Jesus' temptation, he says, No man knows how bad he is till he has tried very hard to be good. A silly idea that is, current, uh, that is current that good people do not know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find out the strength of the German army by fighting against it, not by giving in. C.S. Lewis knew that because he had fought in the war. You can see the date of this. You find out the strength of a wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it uh, would have been like an hour later. That is why bad people in one sense know very little about badness. They have lived a sheltered life by always giving in. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse in us until we try to fight it. And Christ, 
because he was the only man who ever who never yielded to temptation is always the only man who knows to the full what temptation means the only complete realist don't underestimate the person who is the goody goody the person who always uh, obeys the rules because they will have faced the hardest temptation they will have stood up to the temptation longest to give in and break the rules so whilst jesus may have never known what it is to have mcdonald's cravings or temptations the temptations of the internet or temptations that are unique to each of us temptations of uh, old people or women who are suffering from just being women or racism jesus has faced much harder temptations than any of us simply because he didn't give in to those temptations he was not protected by the spirit or by god and the devil tempted him more than any man could possibly bear as such he has sympathy for what we are going through as we know it is always much more helpful to have consolation from someone who has been there if we have suffered loss the death of a loved one maybe it helps to have somebody who has been there who's gone through that when we've suffered heartbreak maybe somebody's turned you down if you've asked them out or maybe you have loved somebody and they've left you for those uh it's helpful to have somebody who's gone through the same who will help you through it who understands that pain for those who are struggling with addiction or dep depression what do we do for them often you know we we put the uh, it's a group therapy can help group therapy is very useful and very helpful and i've been uh talking to psychologists about this um because in my role as you know kind of promoting dungeons and dragons as a, a educational tool i'm kind of building up a network and those include psychologists uh, and psychotherapists and they say they they say how important group work is and they wish they could do more of it but sometimes that the state won't pay for group work they'll only pay for individual work if we're all in the same boat it helps like now with the pandemic we're all experiencing different suffering yes but we're all in this pandemic together and as the world struggles we can sympathize we can empathize we can relate to one another and we can help each other jesus suffered more than any man bearing all the guilt on the cross jesus wept for his dead friend and the sin of the world so jesus was made perfect a perfect vessel to sympathize with us because he went through the same thing the suffering the temptation he was made made perfect he wasn't perfect before because he didn't know that suffering he was made perfect not because he wasn't without sin because he was without sin 
But that's not what makes him perfect to be our perfect intercessor. He made perfect, made, he was made perfect to understand our sin and to intercess on our behalf. Oh, wrong one. My second point is this. Jesus is the perfect priest and king. And we're going to come back to this a little bit more. Uh, but I've talked before in, in my sermons about two types of people in the Old Testament who were anointed by the Holy Spirit. And I hope you can remember that. And those of you who've heard my sermons before, hopefully they can remember that. And you should be saying it. It's the, the prophets and the kings. So only two people in the whole of the Old Testament were anointed by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is a fulfillment of both of those, the prophets and the king. He is prophet and king. And we see this in verse 5, chapter four of, uh, 5, verse 5, uh, and expanded in verse 6. Jesus was appointed as high priest, as every other high priest was appointed by God. God sent his spirit on Jesus and said, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. So it's not just a normal uh, anointing of the Holy Spirit. It's so much more. He has never said to anyone, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Now, what is this about the order of Melchizedek in, ver in verse six? Well, uh, this is a really important idea uh, that Jesus is the perfect high priest, both priest and king. Uh, and we will go into much more detail, so I won't ruin this for whoever's going to be uh, preaching on chapter seven. Uh, but very briefly, maybe this ruins it, I don't know, but hopefully we'll uh, expand on this a little bit more. But all the priests in Israel were supposed to come from the Levites and the uh, line of Aaron. Predating Aaron, however, pre before Moses, before Aaron, there was the mythical, slightly mythical, it's the truth because it's in the Bible, but it's shouted in mystery, this figure of Melchizedek, who, is, uh, who was paid, so he is the eternal priest king. And Abraham pays homage to him, uh, homage, homage, homage to him in, in Genesis. Um, and, well, that's, it's very strange, isn't it? It's just the figure that comes in, Abraham pays homage to him, and then it, he disappears. This idea of an eternal priest-king, well, that sounds very familiar, doesn't it? The prophecies of the Messiah, especially in Isaiah, Isaiah that we will read so many times in the, you know, kind of in the next couple of weeks. For unto us a child is born. His kingdom shall never end. It's going, it will go on forever. That's the point. Jesus is the eternal priest king. In fact, yeah, the perfect priest king. My final point is this. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. And this is most of what we talk about uh, as we preach, because this is the focus of the Bible. We talked about Jesus being an unblemished lamb. He was free from sin. That's the imagery from 
the Exodus where an unblemished lamb had to be sacrificed to save the firstborn son as a substitutionary sacrifice for the firstborn son of, uh, of the, uh, the Jews. Jesus is that sacrificial lamb. The sacrificial goat instead of uh, Isaac, when Abraham was told to set a sacrifice Isaac, that, that substitutionary sacrifice. But also because he is fully man and fully God, he can become the perfect sacrifice once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us to God. We see in verse 2 that a human high priest is with weakness, is best with weakness. And so in verse 3, he has to sacrifice for himself. How can our proper intercessor for our, uh, us, the go-between, be a, uh, be a proper intercessor if he's, firstly, if he's not perfect, if he has to worry about his own sins, and he's not there in heaven with God, talking to heaven and intercessing for us. So by suffering and dying, he became the perfect sacrifice. He was made the perfect sacrifice. In verse 7, reading from verse 7, in the days of flesh, his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers uh, and supplication with loud cries and tears to him who is able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. He prayed, not my will, but yours. He chose to go to that death. And so he was made the perfect sacrifice. Verse 8. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And so Jesus is, became perfect as the perfect sacrifice because he learned obedience through and despite his sufferings. And because uh, he is perfect as the source of our eternal salvation. So Jesus is our perfect high priest because he is perfectly placed to sympathize with our temptations and suffer and suffering. And Jesus is our perfect high priest because he is the perfect eternal priest and king in heaven with God interceding on our behalf. And Jesus is the perfect high priest because he is the perfect sinless sacrifice who went obediently to the cross and is the source of our salvation. Jesus' perfection is not something to be afraid of. It's not something to be cynical about or tired of, but gives us perfect reassurance. Chapter 4, verse 16. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us help in time of need. 
How can we say that? That is an amazing thing to say. We're told that we can confidently draw near to the throne of grace. That's the throne of heaven. Grace, as C.S. Lewis said, is uniquely Christian. It's unique to Christianity. The assurance of a prop, uh, the promise of salvation and a place in heaven. A quick reminder that mercy is not getting what we deserve. That is being judged guilty because of all our sin and being cast out from God's presence. That is mercy. We don't get the punishment. And grace is receiving the gift that we do not deserve. Given something that we absolutely do not deserve, that is a place in heaven. Forgiveness and a place in heaven, not just that, but a place in God's family. So what's our response? Especially at this time where the world celebrates Christmas or the world knows about Christmas, it is to praise and worship him, to boldly proclaim his name, proclaim that we are his, not just on Sundays, in our singing and to one another, not just through our songs, but in our lives, in our witness and in our conversations. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us this word. And our, the promise that you are in heaven being our intercessor, our perfect intercessor who understands our suffering and our temptations. We thank you that you are eternal, that you are priest and king. Lord, we pray that we can bow the knee to you as priest and king. And Lord, we thank you that you are the perfect sacrifice. Help us to keep remembering the cross and understanding it more and more that we may, that we may just be humbled by it. Understanding that we can do nothing to gain our salvation, but only through your cross, through your death, that we, can, we are forgiven and we have this place in heaven, this assured place in heaven. Lord, forgive us when we rest on our own strength or have our own pride in what we've done lord let us worship you let us uh, sing your praises not just in church not just with christians but uh, in our workplaces with our non-christian friends give us bravery boldness and courage lord help us to see the desperate plight of those who are lost especially at this time of Christmas, when we remember you coming into this world. In Jesus' name, amen.